0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Well, this is Easter week, and we have a very special Beeson Podcast for you. This week, in which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's an exposition of a psalm, Psalm 24, given at Beeson Divinity School several years ago by Father Benedict Joseph Groeschel. For those of you who don't know who Father Groeschel is, I can tell you that he is a Capuchin friar in the Catholic Church. He's a priest. He's also a psychologist and teaches pastoral psychology at St. Joseph's Seminary in New York. Some years ago, Father Grishel uh, founded a new order within the Franciscan movement called the Franciscan Friars of Renewal. We invited him to Beeson to talk with us out of his heart about Jesus Christ and his love for the gospel and for the word of God. I had never met him before, but I had seen him on television. Maybe some of you have as well on a program called Sunday Night Prime with Father Benedict Rochelle. It's broadcast on the Eternal Word Television Network. And if you, if you're with this man, you, you sense his great passion for Christ, his love for Jesus. He has a wonderful book called Praying to Our Lord Jesus Christ, Prayers and Meditation Through the Centuries. And other books. He's written many, many books. One especially I have enjoyed and benefited from. Arise from Darkness. What to do when life doesn't make sense. Well, I'm so glad we could present this talk to you. You're going to love this talk. I want you to th- look, look out for two things. One is uh, Father Groeschel's description of an experience he had when he was declared medically dead. He was actually hit by a, a truck and nearly killed but miraculously brought back into the land of the living. He talks about that experience in a very powerful way. And then at the end, he tells a story about Easter sunrise, a service he attended in New York City. I'm not going to give it away, but you listen for that closing story. It's a wonderful affirmation of the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, this Easter week, as we share together Christians all over the world, the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. Join me as we listen to my good friend, my brother in Christ, Father Benedict Groschel.
1: First of all, thank you, Dr. George, not only for your lavish introduction, but also inviting me. And uh, since I first visited Dr. George and the seminary here and the beautiful chapel, I've been telling people, all about this and this morning I told old mother Angelica the foundress of EWTN that I was coming I gave her the anointing of the sick this morning and uh, she asked to be prayerfully remembered to you now a couple of things first of all it's not quite as surprising as you might think to have a franciscan here and i'm here with mother one of the or, brothers of the order that mother angelica found the franciscan missionaries of the eternal word brother john paul because the early baptists who as you know were from germany switzerland parts of austria the, the very early ones often had been members of the Third Order of St. Francis or of St. Dominic, they were devout lay people, scandalized by the corruption of the church at the time. The church was reeling under the impact of the Black Death, which had taken one-third of the population of Europe, one-half of the clergy, and one two-thirds of the monks and friars in two years. It was the equivalent of an atomic war. And Europe was reeling under this, and in that very difficult time, people were ordained priests or made friars or monks who were very ill-prepared. It might be a surprise to you to know that the first Baptist convention ever held was held in Amsterdam, and it was presided over by the former prior of a Benedictine abbey, who was inven- himself eventually martyred. Now, one of the Baptist historians said that the Baptists don't know the rock from which they were hewn. You're aware that the early Baptists were originally Catholics. But you're not aware, I imagine, that their linkage was with the orders of friars and monks, who, after all, were attempting to be the most fervent Christians of the time. I remember showing a good friend of mine, a Presbyterian minister, the chapel of our monastery. And he walked and he says, it looks like a Baptist church. He was expecting the Baroque, you know. Very, very plain. And I said, no, a Baptist church looks like a Capuchin monastery. Uh, It's backwards. I also, I recall when I was a high school boy, I was a caddy in golf. I never hit a golf ball in my life. But for four years, I lugged the bags around. And our caddy house was fascinating. Half the guys were going to be priests, and another third were students at the local biblical college, a little biblical institute in uh, Roseland, New Jersey. I don't know whether it still exists, but we had marvelous ecumenical dialogues in the 1940s. They even got a bit heated, as you can imagine. But I was very impressed by the faith, the knowledge of the Bible, the sincerity, the prayerfulness of these young men who were preparing to be evangelical ministers. So this got me started in ecumenism and uh, the uh, my own very special involvement in the civil rights movement brought me in touch with many uh, African-American Baptists. And uh, I was fortunate enough to know Martin Luther King. Now today's psalm the friars don't have internet or we don't even have computers but we do have a flashlight. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I got somebody to on the internet get St. Augustine's exposition on Psalm 24. and. I'm looking it up, and St. Augustine says, in this psalm, David himself touches on the resurrection of the Lord. He links the psalm entirely with the resurrection. He goes on commenting, Who is this king of glory? Mortal nature is awestruck in wonder and asks, Who is this king of glory? The long, strong, the Lord, strong and mighty. He who was deemed weak and overwhelmed, the Lord is now mighty in battle. Touch His scars, and you will find them made whole, and human weakness restored to immortality. the glorifying of the Lord, where uh, at warred with death, has now been paid the price of eternity. And he goes on and on. Be lifted up, O doors of everlasting righteousness, of love, through which the soul that loves the one true God, go. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of powers. He is the King of glory. His body now quickened. He who was tempted marches above you. He who was tempted by the angel, the deceiver, Now goes above all angels. Let none of you put himself before us and stop our way, that he may be worshiped as God. Neither principality, nor angel, nor power shall separate us from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is the true Prince. Now, there's an interesting little aside here. I'm sure you have familiarity with the Fathers of the Church. I happen to read St. Augustine practically every day, almost all my life. The Fathers of the Church, being the first theologians during and after the persecutions, were untroubled, fortunately, by the scripture scholarship of the 18th and 19th century. It didn't bother them one little bit to say that this psalm refers to Christ. Believe me, there are places you could have your troubles. But uh, it didn't bother them at all. And this is because they had, coming out of the persecutions, a very unobscured, view of the supernatural and I want to take that as a jumping off point you and I are here today in a common belief that Jesus of Nazareth broken, beaten, crucified a dead body by his own power by his divine power Rose, and not only rose, but rose as a true man. Because he ate a fish, as St. Irenaeus would like to remind us. It must have been a body. He ate a fish. He even cooked a fish. But he also rose immortal. And in the mysterious event that we call the ascension, because human words crumble and break human concepts cannot go this far we have the mystery of Christ the fathers of the church teach that the greatest mystery is the Holy Trinity but you know it doesn't challenge you the Trinity doesn't challenge us the Trinity is up there from all eternity minding its own business doing its appropriate things Uh, a trinity does and it it is it doesn't it doesn't come down here and challenge you our Lord has to tell us of it but challenges your intelligence perhaps or your faith but it doesn't interfere but the resurrection mm -hmm. that's when body and soul come together in what St. Thomas Aquinas Calls a strange duel. A duel, good and evil. And as you go out into this unbelieving and confused world, the ultimate question will be, do you believe that Jesus Christ, body and soul, by his own divine power, came back, is the Lord of life and death, and is able to promise us eternal life by his divine life. That's the question. And it would be wonderful to say that everyone in the whole Protestant tradition and everyone in the whole Catholic tradition unquestionably believed this article of faith. And I'm sure you know that they don't. Skepticism, materialism, worldliness comes in. And what is lost is the key, the intellectual key to being able to deal with all of these truths of faith. Not just the resurrection. The key is mystery. I'm not a theologian at all. I have the misfortune of being a psychologist after many years. Uh, I studied theology four years and psychology 11. And uh, the nice thing about psychology is you know you're out on very thin ice, uh, uh, very thin ice. Uh, the, uh, but psychologically, the ability To accept mystery is the ability that is necessary to deal with the great articles of faith. The resurrection, the incarnation, the divinity of Christ, the virgin birth, what have you. Oddly enough, one of the great advocates of believing in mystery particularly religious mystery, is a scientist, Albert Einstein. Einstein says that the most noble use of the human mind is the acceptance of the mystical. The mystical is religious mystery. He defines mystery as the reality whose existence we can perceive but whose inner workings are incomprehensible to us. And uh, he speaks even of his religion as being a humble admiration of the limitless power who has himself revealed his power in all of these things. This is Einstein. There are quotations from early Einstein which seemed to be deistic. He denies a personal God, but not toward the end of his life. Oddly enough, this will throw you a curveball, the mystery he loved to discuss with Catholic priests is the Eucharist. Whenever he got hold of a Catholic priest, he wanted to know all about the Eucharist because the theology of the Eucharist fits in rather neatly with Einstein's understanding of physical matter. <laughs> There's a curveball you never expect. <laughs> so, open your mind to mystery. The most ridiculous, irrational, abs- uh, I was going to say absent-minded, mindless, clueless position is materialism. Prove it. If you're a materialist, go ahead. Prove it. It's an absurdity. St. Augustine sums this up so beautiful, beautifully when he says, And I spoke to all the things that encircle my senses, the things on the earth. And I said, Are you my God? And they said, No, pass beyond us. And I spoke to the things that live in the sky. Are you my God? And they said, no, go beyond us. And I spoke to the sun and the moon and the stars. I said, surely you must be my God. They said, no, go beyond us. And I went into my own being, to that place of the highest point of my soul. And I said, surely you are my God. And the voice said, no pass beyond us. And I said to all of these things, you have told me that you are not God. Now tell me about him. And they all shouted out with a single voice, he made us. He made us. If you ever have an opportunity, study physics, study chemistry, study astronomy. There is throughout this entire incredible cosmos an unthinkable harmony making it possible for matter to exist, making it possible for us to communicate by speech, making it possible to think. This incredible harmony. Do you realize if a hydrogen atom was one one hundredth different from what it is now, there would be no objects in creation that only be soup all around us they shout he made us the first great mystery and as we celebrate the holy season of the resurrection we see that mystery so gloriously revealed in Christ that material things no longer stand in his way. The gigantic wall between life and death, between time and eternity, between being that is contingent and daily passes away and being that has no yesterday and no tomorrow. St. Augustine says to God, Through your today, pass all tomorrows and become all yesterdays. But to you, tomorrow and yesterday have no meaning, for all things simply are. The resurrection brings us to that point, and that is why it is our hope to survive physical death. Strangely enough, I'm a man who did survive death in a somewhat natural way. Three years ago, um, two months ago, they gave up on me. For 27 minutes, I did not breathe or have any blood pressure, any pulse, or heartbeat. They forced oxygen into my lungs, and it came right back out. A young priest who was with me today was at my side and he saw me, Father Lynch. He saw the doctors take off their gloves after 15 minutes. And he begged them, go on. They said, if we bring him back, he'll be a vegetable. Go on, go on. And they brought me back. But they said, I'd be a vegetable. I decided to be a kosher dill pickle. And, uh, and, uh, so, uh, so, uh, With garlic, uh, of course. I came back. They said I'd never think, I think. They said I'd never walk, I walk. They said I'd never dance, but I never danced anyway. (laughs) And and Easter has a very special meaning when you come back from the dead, let me tell you. Uh, It's not a religious miracle because it wasn't instantaneous. It wasn't complete. It wasn't that kind of a miracle like we see in the Bible. I had to get better. But it's a medical miracle. You ask any doctor, can you come back after 27 minutes with no oxygen to your brain? Can you do that? I got sent back. And I have to tell you that I don't take death very seriously anymore. The resurrection opens to us the infinite vistas of the supernatural. Let me tell you, in the world there are non-Christians, many of them devout people of other religions, seeking for God. There are agnostics. There are atheists. But they're all hoping that we're right. They cannot die hoping that we are wrong. You mentioned so kindly St. Francis. When Nicholas Lenin, founder of Bolshevik communism, was dying, he said, I look back on my life and I see an ocean of blood. I could have saved Russia if I had ten men like Francis of Assisi. Interesting. Stalin... That iniquitous person, according to his daughter, was a believing Christian. In the last moments of his life, sat up in bed and waved his fist at the heavens. Stupid thing for a materialist to do. Spend the last couple of calories of energy waving at the ceiling. He wasn't a materialist. He was an enemy of God. It's different. The present book's on atheism. They're not on atheism at all. The book's mocking religion. Because they can't make a defense of atheism. From nothing comes nothing. How can you defend nothing? There's a null hypothesis. Anybody that knows anything about science knows it's a universal negative hypothesis. You can never sustain it. Now, I want to end with a little story about half-baked Christianity and how it does not measure up to faith. You're going to go through life and you're going to meet people that are sort of Christian. I don't meet people that are, do Christianity but do it badly. The poor sinners. They really believe but they haven't got their act together. Okay, That's one group. They'd like to be there but they're not. They don't do too badly in the New Testament, you know. There's one of them at Calvary, the good thief. But it's the other group that have traded faith for opinion. Ugh, I'd rather deal with atheists. I'd rather, it's much more interesting. But how are you going to fight with somebody whose faith is a great big bowl of jello, you know? There's nothing there. And unfortunately, phony ecumenism can look that way. As you pointed out so very well, when Pope Benedict uh, wrote his letter as Cardinal Dominus Jesus, the Lord Jesus, you pointed out very well and supported Pope Benedict, who was attacking mushy ecumenism. We disagree on some things, some important things, but we agree on some things. I'm at home with you because you believe. And you know as you go into the world in the mysteries of God, you will find people who really believe in God but somehow or other have not been given the gift and grace of faith in Jesus. No one believes in Jesus on their own. You only do this in the Holy Spirit. It's not an argument. Talk somebody into Christianity is not much of an accomplishment. You can talk them into Buddhism. You can talk them into being vegetarians. You can talk them into communism. Talk people into a lot of things. And you meet people who are talked into Christianity. It's not faith. Where we work in the South Bronx are these dear, wonderful, holy, old black grandmothers. What faith. And there are dear friends. We don't belong to the same church. They belong to the church of God and Christ, the, uh, uh, the apostolic faith, different little uh, Pentecostal Baptist churches. That's an interesting little blend there. And, and on Wednesday, we have the exposition of the Eucharist. We put a sign out in front of the church. Come in and say hello to Jesus. And these dear souls come in and the word went around excuse the accent but you got to do it with the accent. And they'll tell you, you go into that church on Tuesday, Wednesday and the sweet Lord Jesus is in that church and you could tell because you could feel them there. I'd like to get some school buses and collect some of the faculty members of some of the so-called Catholic universities around New York and drag them down to the South Bronx so they could meet some people who felt the sweet Lord Jesus. It do them a lot of good. How blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, I got a story for you. This is at a left field. I have to apologize. This could only happen in New York. New Yorkers are not proud of New York. many people are proud of their hometown. We are not if you 're thinking of coming to new york don 't come. stay home, please don 't come. The only good thing about New York is when the apocalypse takes place, it will start in New York. we 're all waiting we 're all waiting. every once in a while, the Jehovah Witness announced the end of the world, and we all shout back, "Promises, always promises." So, I can't wait. Now, the, uh, it could only happen in New York. I was chaplain of a home for delinquent kids, big home, and our Protestant chaplain had built a chapel on the edge of a cliff, 40-foot cliff, looking east for sunrise services. Very nice. Catholics don't have sunrise service. We have a three-hour Vigil before Easter starts in the evening. goes on into the night. But the Protestants have sunrise services. I imagine most of you have been to a sunrise service. Well, this year we didn't have a Protestant chaplain. So I got to bed at 3 o'clock from the Easter vigil. I got up at 6 o'clock, not feeling very ecumenical. And I went down to welcome the Protestants, which I did. And uh, I was sitting in the back... In the morning mist, the sun was coming up. I was in the back bench, and a voice said, Shalom. I'm hearing things. With a Jewish accent, Shalom Alechem. Good heavens, this is going to be the most interesting Easter of my life. And I very cautiously turned, and was immensely relieved, but surprised, to see a local rabbi. Where else but New York do rabbis go to sunrise services? <laughs> so I said, Rabbi Emanuel Lubliner, I said, Manny, what in the world are you doing here with the Protestants? He said, well, nobody showed up for the morning prayers, Dominion, because it's a holiday and I read in the paper so I thought I'll come up and pray with you people. Okay, only in New York. Now Rabbi Lubliner was a survivor of the Holocaust. His father, most of his relatives had died in Auschwitz. He had been raised in an atheist kibbutz in Israel but had found himself to being an orthodox rabbi. Not bad. That's a long trip. So I said, Well, Manny, sit down. And down the aisle came a very handsome looking, newly ordained Episcopalian clergyman, dressed much like a Catholic priest, handsome, good looking. And I knew he had just been ordained. I said, Oh, good. LeBlaner is going to get a good sermon here this morning, you know. And the clergyman got up with his back to the cliff. And he says, it's not important that Jesus Christ rose physically from the dead. My heart sank. It's not important that Christ as an individual survived death. It's not important that you're going to survive death. It's not important that we're going to see our dear ones in the next world. And the rabbi poked me in the rib. He leaned over and he said, so what's important? (laughs) So what's important? Well, I sat there with bad thoughts in my mind. Not against the Sixth Commandment, but against the Fifth Commandment. I could could see myself running down the aisle and pushing the clergyman (laughs) off the cliff. And if I was right, it wasn't the end. And if he was right, well, that's the brakes, kid, you know. Uh, The... uh, and I, did, I, did, I could see the headlines the next day. Priest kills minister while rabbi applauds. So, <laughs> so uh, I, 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 I didn't do it. Well, after the service, Rabbi LeBlider, wearing his yarmulke, and I sat there in the morning mist. I didn't want to say goodbye to this guy. And the people all went out. Thank God they were all asleep for the sermon. It was a sermon you could sleep through. And we're sitting there. It looked like an Ingmar Bergman movie. Me with my hood up, him with his yonika, in the morning mist. And he leans over and he says, you know what? I said, what? I should have stayed in bed. It wouldn't have been a total loss. <laughs> a total loss. Does that sound familiar? You know, another rabbi said that. If Christ be not risen from the dead, our faith is in vain, and we have committed perjury before God and men, and we are the most miserable of men. Another rabbi. Rabbi Lubliner apparently did not believe in the resurrection, although every Christmas he wrote me a Christmas letter. But he thought we should believe in the resurrection. He believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knows what faith is. And this man, an ordained Christian clergyman, who I think if you asked him, are you a Christian, he say, oh yes. And believe me, this is no, by no means limited to the Episcopal Church. I think he thinks he has faith. He just has opinion. The coming of the Son of Man is like the sun shining in the East all the way to the West. And when different Christian leaders, including Pope Benedict, say that we share something very important, that we share faith, they are not saying something that is merely nice. Nice is a word I hurt, a word I hate. It comes from the Latin word nishire, which means to be stupid. Uh, it's only used twice in the translations of the Old Testament. Nice never appears in the New Testament translation, and when it's used in the Old Testament, it's used with Jewish sarcasm. The food, uh, the Gentile kings. Ate nice food. That's what I said. Nice. Be nice. Be nice. No. Ecumenism is not meant to be nice. It's meant to be desperate. It's meant to be desperate. We should be working honestly and sincerely, each within our intelligence and conviction, that the prayer of Jesus Will be realized, that they all will be one. And I have to tell you, I have absolutely, positively, no problem seeing the working of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God in anyone who believes that Jesus is Lord. I think I should pay tribute to Dr. George and the other members of the Evangelical Catholic Dialogue, who, with a very honest acceptance of our real theological differences, are moving to see if we may understand each other better. And that we'll never see it in our lifetime, at least I won't. But who knows what God can accomplish And if we all are one, it is because in the eyes of God, we are already one in the mystical body of our risen and glorious Redeemer. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website,